this week, Whitman students should have between 746 to 874 flex dollars left on their meal plan accounts. As is obvious, reality is far different than what was expected. Maneuvering a campus meal plan probably isn't supposed to be as hard as it is. So this week, we set out to figure out how the campus community reacts to and advocates for changes in the current flex dollar system. This week, we will discuss the implications of Whitman's meal plan on healthy eating practices, a topic we explored in conversation with student Lee Thomas. I approached students outside Cleveland to better understand how the broader student population is feeling about flex as we pass the semester's halfway points. I'm Mia Graham. And I'm Casey Moulton. And you're listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. I reached out to the president of the Associated Students of Whitman College to hear her understanding of meal plan inequities and next steps. So my name is Snay Chachra. I am a sophomore politics major. I go by she, her pronouns or they, them pronouns. Um, and I am president of the Associated Students of Whitman College. Great. So you gave a presentation last year about the meal plan. Can you outline some of the inequities that you saw in Whitman's meal plan when creating that presentation? Yeah, so it was it was actually a really complicated time because it was when um, the school was deciding to go online um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So there were, um, Bonap was like in a very complicated position. And um, I remember at some point in the summer, we were unsure that Bonap was even going to be the contractor for um, the uh, meal plan and the food that students get here. Um, but, you know, in exploring um, the inequities and the ways that I was personally impacted um, by food insecurity and how that showed up in the way that I um, kind of navigated the meal plan here. I talked to the president at the time, Isaiah Banta, about it because it was something that he was really passionate about as well. And, um, you know, uh, definitely advanced a lot of work in trying to target those inequities. Um, and I started to work with him on, um, you know, trying to get the school to kind of act on how the meal plan has been inequitable in the past and a um, way to kind of communicate and compile um, all of the ways the meal plan falls short. I presented to Senate about, um, you know, the meal plan and all the ways that it falls short. <laughs> um, and, you know, there is an adjustment policy. Um, if you receive need-based aid on um, meal plan one or two, your financial aid award can be adjusted if you um, move up on meal plans. So the school actually didn't, didn't have a lot of clarity around this because I um, brought it to their attention because I needed to be on a higher meal plan. Um, and um, I was being asked to pay um, more than I thought that I needed to. 
Um, and I went through the school's catalog and found where they had information about the meal plan. And I found the adjustment policy that entitles students on need-based aid um, to an adjustment of their need-based aid um, if they need to change meal plans. Um, and it was, it was kind of like a really big back and forth. Um, while I was trying to navigate the situation, but I think that I am very proud of um, the fact that uh, it is a known policy now um, and that students can get their financial aid adjusted accordingly once they move up. However, some of the inequities that are still pretty prevalent um, fall under a few umbrellas. And one would be like, socioeconomic, right? Um, I think the budgeting um, expectations around the meal plan feels pretty um, unrealistic. And that meal plan too can pertain to a certain eating type and moving up or down still costs you more unless you have like a full ride scholarship. Um, I think that the dollar to flex ratio can be really complicated in that $1 does not equal one flex dollar and one flex dollar is very expensive. And not only is one flex dollar very expensive, but the food is already very expensive. And it just feels like a lot of money for um, very low payoff. Can you explain that flex dollar to real dollar ratio a little bit further? Yeah, definitely. So um, in the uh, presentation, I outlined how um, one flex dollar on meal plan three costs a dollar and 55 cents. So one flex dollar on meal plan two costs a dollar and 78 cents. And one flex dollar on meal plan one costs two dollars and two cents, wow. which, you know, is a complicated issue because mm -hmm. there is the aspect that um, people on meal plan one are probably getting what they need because they choose to be on meal plan one. But at the same time, one flex dollar costs double the amount <laughs> of, of you know what it should be entitled to and then that add added on to um the amount of money food in general costs at cleveland just makes you feel like you're really not getting what you're entitled to right what yeah. you I think it's interesting too that they call meal plan two standard when it only supports two meals a day. So that's yeah. a whole different level of um, problem. Yeah, it is. It is a whole different level of problem. And I, I think that, yeah, I, exactly. And that totally speaks to the socioeconomic um, and even like a personal aspect of um, just having these three meal plans and then ascribing certain like um, numbers of meals when there's like the uh, cafe that has like these, you know, beautiful selection of pastries and um, endless uh, access to lattes and <laughs> you know like uh, so many options and it's just something that the school capitalizes on so much but the students themselves need to go through a lot to even like to like have like full access to all of the things that Cleveland has to offer. I, I think it's very infuriating um, personally that um, you know, the default meal plan only gives a student um, two meals with like some wiggle room, but like it's very limiting to a certain eating type and that moving up or down costs you a lot um, and it still gives you a cost difference. Um, 
you know, and it's just like, it's a basic necessity. You know, I feel like, I think that the Dean, so the Dean of Students Office um, supports students who like run out of, run out of flex specifically, um, those that qualify for need-based aid um, or are of high financial need. You know, in my head, I feel like refilling people's flex is the only thing that they support that is like integral to living at Whitman, like a basic necessity. And it's just so telling about, you know, how there is a system here that, um, um, you know, something that's like foundational to the basic necessities of what it means to live here. And it's like falling short. You know, it's a service that the school has to provide. You know, not only has to provide, but requires students to be on. And, that, you know, they are doing things that recognize that this service is falling short. You know, they have the gap. I feel like the existence of a food pantry, while fantastic, because there's so many people that are going to face some level of insecurity or some feeling of insecurity because of where they come from and who they are and maybe um, the, um, you know, what they need um, in their food and having a food pantry is fantastic. And I don't think that that should go away, but I think that when people are running out of flex and people point to the food pantry, I think that's extremely problematic because it's, you know, it's, it's, recognizing that there is a food insecurity problem and just like putting a band-aid over the solution over actually fixing a service that students are entitled to but also required to benefit from um, and then there's the other other inequities right like there's like religious inequities where um, there's re restricted access to halal and kosher, kosher foods there's um there's like lent accommodations and like the process for getting um, uh, certain accommodations is unclear. I think Bonap has done a really, really good job of um, working with students who have certain needs um, to, you know, like provide options with them. But like that particular service is not made known. And um, it, it makes it like very accessible for a student to get what they need. Just last week um, was Passover and I, um, and one of the presidents of the Jewish club on campus, and we asked Bonap to support um, keeping Passover kosher, which means not eating gluten for a week. And what they did is they put out a, a bowl of matzah next to the salad bar. And so we were kind of just eating salad for a week. Um, so yeah, definitely some religious problems in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I feel like I feel like that the, um, you know, the initiative is definitely being taken and, you know, Chef John has like posted recognizing on, on his Instagram, recognizing uh, like the fact that the food this year, especially is like less caloric and, um, you know, still pretty much just as expensive and that a lot of people are struggling and he has been like, you know, just ask, just politely ask for more food if you need it and just like, been very um you know like understanding and I think that Bonap has like uh is like moving in the right direction in terms of like accommodating for students and their needs but I think that this process really needs to be standardized and you know made known so that you know folks who need something and don't see what they need know where to go how to get it and what to do and feel safe in figuring that out you know, and maybe not even wanting, not even feeling like they have to figure that out because they, they feel supported enough. Um, 
So I, I really, I really appreciate the work that Bonap has continued to do. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely areas that um, need to be improved or made known at the very least. And just like the process for getting accommodations or like process for petitioning to get off the meal plan, I've heard has been um, very long drawn for certain people in their experiences and, you know, kind of having to prove why um, they need to be off the meal plan. And I, I feel like since it's like a situation where people are like required to be on the meal plan, but this meal plan has um, so many inequities and um, so many ways that they are like falling short, it just makes it even more frustrating that you kind of have to um, go through such a long drawn out process um, to get what you need. Um, but there are, it, it is important to recognize that there are like a ton of um, um, things that have improved since the um, meal plan first, um, you know, became implemented, right? And I think it's really important to recognize this because it's a process and all that. And, um, you know, I think that I've heard um, in my conversations with Isaiah, who was um, part of or who had experienced the um, meal plan before this one when um, the dining hall was in Prentice and it was just like a, a swipe for certain meals, um, that there seemed to be better working conditions, longer hours, better supportive space for staff, a feedback system so that the, um, so that Bonap is constantly improving and like trying to meet certain accommodations, that an accommodation process is available, um, you know, occasional menus that are conscious of religious lifestyle, maybe not so much now, um, but I think that Bonap is dealing with um, or has dealt with a lot of financial issues because of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and, you know, just like better food options that are of higher quality, locally and ethically sourced food, an accommodation process is available. And, you know, it might even be like better for athletes because of the differences um, and options that have been available. So, Snay, where do you see um, ASVAC taking up some of these issues. Something that's really tricky about this is that um, this meal plan is very new and that it's only been around for three years. And every single year, um, you know, there, something has happened to make it so that um, data that we can get to prove these inequities um, might be skewed. So, the school really, really likes data, and that's fair, you know, like, I think that data has allowed, um, you know, me personally to see uh, where certain inequities lie and to advocate on the interests of those who are um, most marginalized or most minoritized and may not have access to um, a certain level of mobility that other communities of campus might have. So like data can be really important in honing in on that. And it can be really important in showing um, the school where these inequities lie and um, where they can target to improve um, access to more sustainable sourcing of um, food or meeting the food needs of um, our students. Um, so um, Isaiah got some data last year and um, the, some important takeaways were that um, 818 people were on the meal plan and 80% of those people who were 662 were on meal plan two and uh, 243 of those people, which is almost 30% uh, um, 
on any meal plan um, added additional flex before the semester ended, which is, I think, a really, really significant statistic um, because it shows that the meal plan is not enough to okay. meet people's needs. Um, and also going to a primarily white college, you know, I don't know the demographics of these data, but I know that people um, have gotten assistance from um, the Dean of Students office in that there's another statistic where 28.8% of the people on meal plan two um, who added additional funds, 11.5% got help from the college, which means that they met some level of need-based aid, you know, which shows that there's some level of disparity. I think that this data is really important, you know, but I also think that there is, there are inequities prevalent that um, aren't necessarily data rooted or don't necessarily need data to show that it's inequitable. For example, overhead costs. And um, overhead costs are like the cost of operation that it takes to like maintain the facilities in Cleveland Commons. Um, and the, all of the overhead costs are built into um, the students' room and board costs, like the costs that the students pay for the meal plan, even though faculty, staff, and community members also benefit from these facilities, which is inequitable and creates a monopoly because first year and second year students are required to be on these meal plans and have to go through a very long drawn out process to get off of these meal plans. And what that means is that first and second year students are entirely, you know, are almost entirely taking on the whole load of what it costs to maintain um, Cleveland Commons, where, you know, in like restaurants and stuff, the costs would be like built in to the cost of food. Um, and you know, it just makes the meal plan so much more expensive and not sustainable for students to profit off of. And that's not something that needs data. You know, like the fact that overhead costs isn't um, equitably distributed to all the people that benefit from the facilities is inequitable objectively. And I, I think that this data is really, really important. Um, I worry that it feels like it's not enough because it was, it was taken from fall semester of 2019. Um, and, you know, last year, the year went short or was cut off short because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The first year, the data might not be super accurate because I think the meal plan changed a little bit. And um, uh, it was the first year of the meal plan being the meal plan. And this year, the data might not be entirely accurate or taken as seriously because BONAP is operating under very limiting restrictions. Um, and. I think that that makes it really hard to advocate for certain issues, but also I don't, I, I really take issue with the fact that I feel like people need to go through hell and back to prove that this is an issue. And that's just something that I'm, I'm extremely frustrated about. Great. So you just gave us a lot of information. Um, I'm feeling kind of revved up and passionate um, and I'm sure listeners are too. So I'm wondering what, do you want Whitman students to do with this information? Yeah, I think that's a, a really great question. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm very much at loss for how to, you know, to be completely vulnerable, move on with the information that I have. And, you know, I feel like I've thought about this for so long, but I also think that students should continue to ask for what they're entitled to. You know, I think that food is a basic necessity. 
and the fact that the school needs to support students because a service that they are required to provide is falling short. I think that's a really big issue and people should continue to draw light to it. And if that means, you know, personally holding the school accountable to this adjustment policy and asking for money that they're entitled to and asking for adjustments to their meal plan that they're entitled to because it's what they need, they should do that. You know, if it's like asking more about, you know, why the meal plan is the way that it is and getting more information, you know, they should feel empowered to do that. And I hope that this information um, feels validating because I think that I've had a lot of personal experiences with it and it has made me feel like I was doing something wrong in meeting my own needs when it's really not my problem. And I think that people should feel empowered to make sure the school knows that it's not their problem. Like that it's not the student's problem, that it's the school's problem. Right, that is extremely validating. Yeah. Thank you so much, Snae, for joining me on the show. You have some fantastic insights and I learned so much during our conversation. So I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated being able to talk about this again. Lee Thomas led a power and privilege session called Unseen Bodies, Identities Ignored in Eating Disorder Treatment. So I sat down with them to talk about the current dining options on campus and how they fail to support Whitman students. Uh, my name is Lee Thomas. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a sophomore um, and I'm yet to declare, but I'm planning on a rhetoric major with a French and psychology double minor. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. Um, so you gave a presentation at Power and Privilege called Unseen Bodies, Identities Ignored in Eating Disorder Treatment. Can you tell me a little bit about the content in that presentation? Yeah, so I really wanted to bring to light the statistics that aren't understood um, by the general public and that are kind of ignored um, by medical professionals, especially um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, LGBT uh, people, people in impoverished um, communities and disabled people, and then kind of have a conversation on the different I guess, types or experiences with disordered eating because I'm not a big fan of the medical labels that people tend to use um, because it's such a diverse experience. Um, and I wanted to have a conversation on how these different experiences kind of appear in the college world as well, um, especially at Whitman. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, a little new to this conversation myself. So I'm wondering if you can point to some of the medical terms that are problematic and like um, ways that you want to see um, disordered eating talked about in um, this culture. Yeah, a lot of commonly used labels like um, anorexia or bulimia, um, I feel are inappropriate just because they have criteria for being diagnosed. A lot of people who experience disordered eating might believe that they don't have an issue because they don't fit the criteria. They're not sick enough um, to fit that and deserve treatment. So I like to focus more on the behaviors and habits of disordered eating. Would you say 
um, disordered eating kind of falls on a spectrum then? For sure. Yeah. And especially at Whitman, I feel because a big part of this school and the general kind of vibe of the campus and those students here is that um, outdoor activity, exercise, and healthy eating is like a very important thing to people. And I feel like that can potentially become a detrimental thing. Um, one thing I talked about in my presentation was health anxiety, um, which is the medical term for it is orthorexia, where you're um, highly focused on eating healthy um, and exercising and um, which is still a form of like kind of control over your food. Um, so I feel like the possibility of students experiencing that either without even realizing potentially um, is pretty high in college campuses because the idea of freshman 15 certainly doesn't help. Um, but Whitman, especially, I feel it's it's a conversation that is lacking and but needs to be had. That's a great segue into talking about Whitman students in particular and their relationship to food. Um, this episode is about the implications of Whitman's meal plan and the, the flex dollar system. Um, so do you see any connections between the research that you've done on students' relationship to food and different bodies and Whitman's policies regarding meal plans? Yeah, so thinking about the pricing, and I feel a lot of students, especially touching on the idea of um, impoverished people and their relationship with disordered eating, how having three $10 meals a day um, can feel kind of overwhelming, um, especially for those who have been living on kind of $10 a day for all their meals. I feel like a lot of students will kind of bring up like, man, um, Cleveland Commons is so expensive, the meal plan is so expensive, um, but obviously that conversation, um, I've never heard it kind of dive into the idea of um, how that could relate to um, kind of food guilt and um, feeling like potentially you don't, it's just stressful to kind of think about how much money is going into your meals and wanting to um, kind of preserve those funds and possibly reduce your food intake. So uh, do you see anything problematic in labeling um, that like two meals a day as standard? Definitely. And I, and with the larger meal plan that supports three meals a day. Um, and it's kind of presented as like, oh, this is like for the athletes, right? Who need to get more intake. So kind of reinforcing that idea that food is kind of just fuel for um, working out or exercise. Um, because yeah, growing up, a lot of people kind of have gone through, you know, their daily schedule is three meals a day and then coming to campus and saying, oh, you know, it's, it's two meals a day, kind of feeling like, oh, I've been eating wrong this whole time. I'm not supposed to be eating three meals a day when I want to. Um, I'm only supposed to, you know, have two meals a day and maybe a coffee, right? Right. And especially in like times of COVID too, I feel like going to the store or going out to eat at a restaurant isn't necessarily a safe activity anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when your only option is Cleveland and you're expected to eat two meals a day, 
of pretty small servings, which yeah. I, I don't know, the teriyaki chicken never quite yeah. feels like, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, I don't know. Thoughts on that? For sure. I know a lot of people who were all low on flex, right? <laughs> because, because of COVID, because it's all in takeout, I think the portions have definitely reduced um, with all the changes they've had to make. And I know most people, yeah, the teriyaki chicken is infamous for people having to go for seconds um, just to like fill their stomachs. And then that's a, that $10 meal becomes a $20 dinner, um, which is kind of, you know, that's, that's what I'm expecting to pay at like a fancier restaurant rather than my, my college cafeteria. Right. And I think there's another aspect here, which is that um, a flex dollar is um, has more monetary value than a normal U.S. dollar. So it's even more expensive than you're expecting. Um, do you have any thoughts about that kind of consciousness about money, about food, about nutrients and nutrition? Like, like balancing that as a college student um, and being conscious of all those three things, is that a healthy thing? Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, college students are stereotyped as having to rely on instant ramen um, and things to kind of just like fill us. Um, so I feel like having to kind of, with, with the amount of money that you need to spend at Cleveland and then just trying to find what'll fill you so you don't have to spend more um, flex dollars on things you might um, want more for that nutritional aspect um, is pretty difficult. Yeah, um, anything else about um, the implications of Whitman's meal plan and disordered eating? Yeah, I think with the foods they offer, something very recent came up like this week um, I think like the day after you reached out to me, um, that relates pretty strongly to the idea of um, foods being presented for um, exercise and working out rather than just general daily functioning. Um, they came up with like these gummies or something um, with like caffeine and they call it um, foods for your well-being. And it's a, it's, they describe it as like, oh, fuel your workout um, with these new gummies. Um, and then I kind of fell into this rabbit hole um, on Instagram. I looked at the, the foods for your well-being hashtag because Bon Appetit, um, they service like two dozen colleges and then like a dozen other just general institutions. Um, and so the, all the different kind of Instagram posts they had seem to kind of um, perpetuate this idea that food is for working on exercise and doesn't have much other purpose. And there were a lot of posts that were kind of saying, look out for the freshman 15, cut out your fats, um, reduce this intake, um, make these healthy swaps. Yeah, and they're all about saving calories mm -hmm. and trying to um, like help students reduce calorie intake um a lot of the times they were promoting um events where you come and learn about how to reduce your food intake which I think really influences disordered eating because one um big 
aspect of behavior is having like food rituals where you have to eat um, not just certain foods, but like with certain plates, certain forks at a certain time um, has to be, the food has to be the right temperature um, or like, yeah, you have to experience it a certain way. Um, so it's basically in my mind, promoting um, disordered eating for sure. That's ridiculous. I totally thought like calorie counting was a thing of the past. Um, and especially with college students, like there's no nuance there about, um, you know, like who, like different bodies need different calorie intakes and different mm -hmm. nutrients. Yeah. So I feel like health anxiety is a big part of Whitman, but then in college campus in general, plus that idea of like calorie counting, restricting your intake, um, making swaps that are just really bizarre um, to kind of, you know, avoid the freshman 15, which, you know, we didn't come to college to lose weight. We came here to, as Kathy Murray says, your business here is to learn not to reduce your food intake. Um, Do you have any other insights about this meal plan and the effects it might have on students? Yeah, something that has kind of been happening even before COVID times is the repetitiveness of Cleveland meals. Um, something that can really trigger disordered eating is eating the same meal um, frequently because then, you know, those with disordered eating, it's easier to predict the calories, to predict the, um, the macronutrients, right? The protein and the fat. Um, so coming to like rely on that repetitiveness, that could be a possible trigger for disordered eating. Um, and the, the snacks, I think they've, they've kind of branched out a bit more, but a lot, they have a lot of like protein bars and um, protein drinks and just kind of um, reinforcing that idea of sticking to your macronutrients, getting your, um, getting your energy fuel in for your workouts. Um, that could also be a potential trigger, especially for um, health anxiety. Mm. Something I've noticed um, in my residence hall in particular is we go and get dinner together almost every night. And um, it's always a decision of like, do I get a smash burger and feel full tonight? Or do I get something that's actually like going to make me feel good? So yeah, that variety is really important. I can see how that affects students um, in my residence hall of like making those decisions about what to eat and mm -hmm. like not really wanting to go to Cleveland. There's a lot of like, okay, it's time to go to dinner again. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what to get. Like, I'm so tired yeah. of these options. Yeah, like with the salads, um, you want variety in your meals, right? Um, not just with like the types of meals, like burger or teriyaki chicken, but also just kind of having a variety of color. Um, so I feel like salads, I'm always kind of doubling up with getting two different ones and kind of mashing them together just to kind of get um, more of a variety, especially because the salads can be repetitive um, as well. And a lot of the times they're reduced to like three or four um, ingredients. That That's definitely been a bummer from COVID is the pre-made salad. Just the, the limit of like having different nutrients and being able to kind of, um, yeah, get those different nutrients for your different bodily functions rather than having to stick to one 
meal that, um, to limited choices that might not make you feel good because that's the whole point of food is to, um, make your body and mind feel good. Right. And like eating is supposed to be a pleasurable experience and something to look forward to instead of something to kind of dread having to make right. a decision. Right. How have you been able to um, address these problems with Cleveland personally? Something I've definitely struggled with is, is kind of having to like budget my meal plan um, and just really wanting to get those nutrients in. I feel like a lot of the times I've been relying on smoothies to, to just kind of get, um, yeah, some spinach in, some fruit. Um, and then they have the little smoothie card where, you know, buy however, get one free to kind of like looking forward to that way of um, reducing my flex spending while still being able to like get um, those nutrients that I, I'm craving into my body. Yeah. I know my mom, um, I was telling her I was running low on flex and she just like got really passionate about this. She's like, you should not have to worry about food in college. Like this, right. not be a concern, right? As Kathy Murray says, um, and you quoted earlier in the interview, your business here is to learn, mm -hmm. not to focus on calorie count and nutrients and worry about running out of flex. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this is definitely a problem. Do you see any remedies to the problems that you just outlined, like practical ways that Cleveland could support students in getting healthier eating habits? I definitely feel that flex um, needs to be reevaluated, especially for the meals that are repetitive, things like teriyaki chicken, where they are obviously buying things in bulk. Um, things like rice that are pretty cheap to obtain um, and cook and then having to pay kind of $10 for that. And then a lot of people, like I said, will have to double up um, to fuel themselves and just having, and then ending up spending $20 on rice where you can buy like a whole sack of it for like 10 bucks that'll fuel you for like a month. Um, so I feel like that definitely needs to be reevaluated just kind of having a bit more variety, a bit more choice, not having food presented as something you need to control or something that only goes towards like health anxiety, not sending the message that um, food is anything more than just a something that we need <laughs> to function as animals, as human beings. Um, that food is, like you said, a pleasurable experience. It's a social activity that you, like you go out to dinner with friends. It's a cultural experience with um, culturally relevant foods. Um, so rather than just, you, you get three meals a day because you're on the sports team. Um, it's more, you get three meals a day because that's what you feel you need. Um, and that's what you want. And that's what satisfies you. Lee, that was beautifully said. Um, I think you. you've brought up some really important points, a lot to think about. Um, and I really appreciate you joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, here's to a continued conversation and eating and food and our relationship as college students to that. So thanks a lot, Lee.
Variation is fairly obvious across the board, and the next student I spoke to noted that her spending habits have varied throughout the semester. I'm Nishta and I'm a first year. So about how many flex dollars do you spend in a day? I would say between 20 to 25. Do you worry about how much you're spending? Yeah, I, I was actually really worried about how much I spent earlier in the semester and then I realized okay I have a lot left so after that I think I'm more generous in my spendings I guess but yeah I'm usually worried that I run out before the semester ends. So if you do run out of flex what will you do? Because like the refill for the flex is only available from 500 I don't think I'd need that much so I'd probably just start making my own meals. Is there anything that you think the college can do better when it comes to meal plans and dining in general? I think there are so many ways the college can be more cost effective. I definitely think a lot of students do think it's a bit pricey and I agree with that but um, I think having more options for meal plans I guess. How do you think they could be more cost effective? Maybe they could reduce like the cost of the meal plan because we get lesser flex dollars than what we actually pay. About how many flex dollars do you have left? I think I have roughly seven fifty. It's important to note that the $500 Nishta mentions is emergency aid available to students receiving need-based financial aid offered through the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. Flex can be reloaded onto your student account through My Whitman in increments starting at $50. Next, let's hear from Olivia, a first-year student who has already had to grapple with the reloading process. I'm Olivia DeLiberty. Uh, I'm the class of 24. Since you ran out of Flex, did you just call your parents or who did you go through to get more money? Uh, I did try to talk to my parents. They weren't sure what to do, so I kind of had to sleuth a little bit through the My Whitman to figure it out. I think I put my money in the wrong place a couple no. times. What do you think could be done better by both the school and our dining options to ensure that people aren't running out? Um, I mean, as far as I can tell, a lot of people are running out around now, or at least getting to a point where they're kind of feeling like they're in trouble. Since you have refilled your flex, do you worry about running out again? Yeah, I like put $50 in and that was like a week at least. Mm -hmm. And then so I just put 100 in. Well, thank you. Our last segment today is made up of five students, all of whom have varying opinions of the meal plan and all of whom are in very different places when it comes to daily spending and money remaining. First, I spoke with a group of athletes from the men's soccer team who have wildly different relationships with the meal plan. My name is Carter Giles and I'm a first year. Uh, my name is Eric Gant, I'm also a first year. Uh, my name is Aldo Feria, I'm also a first year. So do you guys know about how many flex dollars you spend every day? Uh, I'd say maybe 30, 30, 40 on average. I'm gonna go like 10, 15. 10 to 20. Yeah. Do you guys worry about how much you're spending? Um, definitely, yeah. I mean, I feel like with the meal plans at least, like it's a good amount. I feel like the food here is definitely a little overpriced. I get to the end of the week, I was like, I, I spend a lot of money, so. I eat a lot, I, I buy a lot of food like from, from the stores. Mm. So, I, so I, I eat 
I usually eat breakfast on my own, but then I either have lunch. I usually always have dinner here through the meal plan, and sometimes I'll have lunch. So I'm not, I'm, I'm usually not that worried. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it depends on, like, your eating habits, because personally, I, I still have, like, quite a lot, and I buy for my friends just because I have a whole bunch, and I want to, at the end of the year, have to spend it all on some random stuff. So I guess it just depends on your eating habits and yeah. et cetera. Do you guys know which meal plan you're on? I'm on two. Meal two? Yeah, I'm on the third one. Third one, okay. Meal two. Okay. Are you guys worried about running out of flex at all? Um, definitely right now, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely somewhat pretty low. And I, I know we only have like a month left, but, um, you know, I just I wouldn't want to be like in a situation where I, I have to add money with like, you know, two, three weeks left of school. I wouldn't say, I, I usually keep keep up to date with how much is in, in my account. So I'm not usually too worried. Yeah, like I said, it just depends on your eating habits because I mentioned that I, I buy for my friends sometimes just because I have way too much. So I'm trying to – I also don't want to spend, like, 100 250 in, like, a week, but it just kind of varies what you kind of eat in time to time. Well, since, Eric, you are concerned about running out of flex, what will you do if you run out? Probably, I'll probably call my mom, ask her about it. I mean, you know, if, if money needs to be added, we'll get money added, but – um, just, you know, for like the sake of like saving and mm-hmm. the whole college expense, I would kind of like to not have to go down that road um, and just finish out the year without yeah. having to add anything. Well, do each of you know about how many flex dollars you have left? Yeah. Yeah. I have about 1100 Okay. Yeah, I have about six, 700 1300 Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. A common thread throughout all of these stories is student advocacy, sharing information on healthy eating practices, interrogating inequities, and even casually brainstorming ways the system can be made more accessible. Just because it looks like some of our peers might run out of money doesn't mean it should, and reality is placing disproportionate burdens on underclassmen, students who, for the most part, are wholly dependent on campus meal offerings. This is, without doubt, a multifaceted issue that will require a multifaceted solution. And for now, student voices are the most powerful tool we've got. You've been listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. Mia will be back next week with more stories.